I'm Jamboni. Welcome to the Goethe Institute Kenya podcast. I'm your host, James Murua. We are conducting a series of interviews with experts in a variety of professions to find out how they are affected by artificial intelligence or AI. Today, our guest is Nairobi-based transformation and growth coach, Gabriel Nyamo, who helps organizations adapt to the changes that are happening globally in technology, social cycles, and much, much more. In our chat, he reveals how work is already being changed by AI, the challenges that need to be dealt with, and what the future is likely to look like. Kaariboni. Hello, Gabriel. Thank you for agreeing to be in the Goethe Institute Kenya podcast. Thank you, James, for having me. Asante sana. Would you like to tell us who you are and what you do? My name is Gabriel Nyamo. I'm a transformation and growth uh, coach. I help organizations and individuals being able to adapt the changes that are happening globally, uh, both in technology, social cycles, and uh, in aid of helping them uh, be able to grow and sustain their growth. So I am a chief transformation officer with a company called Inquest Research and Consulting, uh, which I'm also serving as the founding director. Thank you very much. So you, you have been working with organizations a lot, so you know how how companies are coping with the new te- technologies and transformations that are coming. But first I must ask, what is AI to you and are you using it in your personal life yet? Thank you. Good question. Um, artificial intelligence, as uh, people will call it, this is where we are transferring the human intelligence to machines and computers uh, in aid of helping us being able to uh, perform some jobs and some tasks that predominantly were done by the human beings. It it is not that much complex because intelligence has been endowed on individuals. We are all intelligent human beings. We are only just transferring that intelligence into machines, uh, training machines using computing and data processing um, technologies so that they can be able to try, kind of perform some work that mostly we used to do as human beings. Yes, I apply a lot of uh, artificial intelligence as, as a, pra- a practicing data scientist and also as a business strategy. Um, we are currently implementing what we call digital transformations, uh, like in financial services, where currently things like credit scoring are now done through uh, AI. Um, when we're doing online shopping in e-commerce platforms, we're still using an integrating AI component to be able to, to determine for us our buying behavior and our preferences. Um, and so it's something that I interact with on a daily basis. It's become part of our life. And therefore, yes, it's something that on a day-to-day basis, I have to interact with some AI infrastructures or tools or platforms in one way or another. You've been doing this work where you're looking how about how AI and related technologies are affecting companies around the world and locally. How is AI affecting the workplace today? How is it changing the workplace? Good, good concern. Um, let me just first of all start by explaining a journey that we've been taking because before I answer that question, it's good just to be able to have a background. We've been having uh, what we may call industrial evolutions that have been taking place way from the 18th century. I think four of us who are good students of history understand about the first industrial revolution where we had these steam engines and machines 
you went to the second industrial revolution, we have the electricity and magnetism, and we could be able now to have gadgets like electronic gadgets. Then in the 20th century, we uh, got it what we call the third uh, revolution, where we have the computer and the internet. Now, what that third industrial revolution brought in, it's that now we were able to organize uh, information in a bit more easy way and be able to process that information, be able to produce intelligence. Now, the AI now, in terms of how uh, organizations are trying to leverage AI, is actually being powered by the third industrial revolution, where we already have a lot of information. Everybody has some footprints online using computers. Even these audio podcasts you have been as part of the data. But now how to process all this information to help us make informed decisions. Like say if you're in a company, you want to make um, strategies that are competitive above the peers. That's where the AI is being used now to be as a differential, as, as something that a company is adapting for competitive advantage. So that's why this kind of a race or a competition towards adoption of AI, because every organization want to start out, want to be in the, in the front line in terms of the market leadership. So we've seen a global trend around that rush, though sometimes it's being used as a buzzword. There are people who will say they adopt in AI when it is not. Probably they're just doing normal automations, but they mistake that with the AI because AI is not the automation, the technology that I know we've been seeing there before. Uh, it is the intelligence aspect of it that, of course, you could consider uh, is, the, is the real AI. So yeah, there's quite a lot of threads and uh, we are going to see this, especially in the next year, the COVID-19 during this season, it has actually pushed more organizations to actually adopt AI. Um, it's like the only way to sustain their business. How have you seen um, locally in Kenya, or maybe across the continent, how these technologies have been adopted? And how, because you say that we are using them more locally. So what are the technologies that are being used and how are they being used? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, we have seen um, a lot of adoption locally. Um, and this is both Kenya, I also travel a bit within the wider African region. We've seen adoption of AI in so many aspects. I'll give maybe some few, few of them. Um, for people who love sales and marketing, we've seen a lot of adoption of AI in something we call computer vision. This is where the, the computing or the system, the technology that we use are able almost to determine and pre-qualify reads. So instead of going there, selling things, governing who is likely to buy my service or not, be able to use the AI. And most companies actually like now in their what you call customer relationship management systems or CRMs, they are using such tools to be able to pre-qualify for them a prospective uh, customer. You've seen this also uh, being adopted in um, what you call the image um, recognitions. Uh, if you travel anywhere in the airports, I think that's one way to be able to screen people and be able to recognize them through the face recognition technologies. And it's being used also online both in the security, actually even our own security and uh, intelligence um, in the government also utilizing that. These cameras that they have already put in, in uh, most of our highways and in our junctions, roundabouts and all that, they are screening a lot of images of people every day. We've seen some investigation on some cases that has happened where maybe some crime have been committed and you've seen uh, detectives being able to utilize AI te uh, technology able to even be able to trace um, the culprit. So yes, it's something being used. We're also using it a lot even in the human capital space where you're able to almost determine the, uh, the right people to work with because you can almost be able to predict uh, someone's productivity, someone's, uh, uh, let's say, uh, um, likelihood of being a good manager or a good leader. 
and it's being used also in making those decisions of who to hire and who not to hire and also uh, who is likely to be a good success talent for future what about the employees who are already using these technologies because i i saw a lot when i was doing my research on this podcast about you know uh, employees being um maybe uh, the idea is that you it's include increasing productivity but then maybe you are you know making these employees work much longer hours uh, at, at the same pay or even less is this some, one of the dangers you see of you know it, utilizing this uh, technology you know uh, getting much more from from employees uh, and getting much less uh, and they get much less return on investment for their time let me respond to that by saying that um, the workplace have been transforming over some time and i'll give you two categories of work because i think we can zero in especially in what we call the work itself how is it affecting work because that's where employees are involved now in the work environment, there are two sides of it. There's what we call transactional work. And if you go to any company, you find what you call transactional employees. And then on the other side is uh, another category called transformational knowledge workers. These are people, of course, who ideate, develop um, models or innovate for the organization. Also, they offer inferences like leadership and strategy. Now, where we have seen a lot of uh, effect around um, adoption of AI is actually in the transactional work. So, like for example, if you're an accountant in terms of being able to key in entries of debit and credit and all that, that's something a bit more easily replaceable by an AI platform. In fact, uh, we predict approximately 99% of all finance and accounting functions is going to be taken over by robotics in by 2030. But it's because a bit highly transactional. So it's, you can almost predetermine that if you're able to kind of set the rules that are required and the system can be able to almost replicate that. So I'll say. The fatigue now is coming. I would not say the fatigue is being brought in by the AI itself it, because of the trans, trans, what I mean, transitional fatigue. Transitional fatigue means the, the ability to adapt now and to coexist so that you're having the AI platform here and you're having yourself as a headcount. And having these two work together is where people are getting of that fatigue. So it's not a sign that the AI is really uh, bogging down people having to work more. Not necessarily. Of course, I would say the implementation of the AI is another issue altogether because there are companies that are rushing without what I may call AI readiness. We just conducted actually a survey in October, which we are trying to test the AI readiness in most of the enterprises, within especially the East Africa. And actually, less than 40% of the companies that we interviewed, which are the high, the medium and a few of the high-end companies, the blue chips, while they having AI readiness, you know, in terms of being ready to adapt. So they just adapted because it's a buzzword. They don't want to be left out. But then they realize they are not ready. So they kind of now even cause what we call organization of distress. Employees are a bit fatigued. And that is where we're having that crisis of employees could complain about their productivity and all that. So it's more of the strategy on how you adopt the AI that has brought that kind of a confusion. But if well uh, integrated within the strategy, then definitely we expect there will be less of that fatigue. I've been noticing um, in my discussions with the, the professionals on this, on this podcast, the discussion about, you know, the products that are being used, a lot of them are being developed in, um, you know, in Silicon Valley, uh, whether it's the social media products or it's the other products like the Ubers and uh, the other, all these kind of products. Do you have instances of Kenyans who are developing AI-related technologies, not as uh, you know, not as users, but you know, developing the technologies that we can use locally. Uh, I would say that concern is a genuine concern, and it's one of the things that I have observed as well. 
we really are kind of praying our game at the consumer aspect in terms of consuming most of the AI platforms that they're producing. And I know we were kind of bypassed. We kind of uh, joined or kind of got to participate in this uh, arena a bit slightly late. Similar to even what is happening like in blockchain technologies and no others. We, if we deridali because if you deridali and then we come later, of course, we end up just signing in as users. Yes, there are some local companies that are actually developing solutions and have already implemented those solutions. But I'll give a disclaimer. The only challenge is those applications are hosted in platforms that are also owned externally. That's where now the catch is. So yes, the front end in terms of developing the AI tools and paths and assessments and all that is done locally. But I don't think we have any, um, let's say, a hosting platform that is, let's say, Rocco or Africa. You have to kind of have to rely with uh, uh, Google Cloud, IBM Cloud, Amazon Cloud, and all of them, of course, there's none that is owned locally. So as much as, yes, we'll still have our own AI engineers who are developing those uh, platforms locally, but where do, the, do they host it? Where is the data kept? It's still kept on the cloud. Who owns the cloud? We are not there. So. That is a bit of a bit of a concern. I do agree with you. And um, unless maybe where governments are able to institute some infrastructures that can support local um, hostings and all that, then we are likely to still end up becoming consumers. And I appreciate like Kenyan government and few other African governments who are trying to come up with governance frameworks and uh, institutionalize some uh, infrastructures and data centers which are hosted uh, locally. Uh, that way, then we can be able to say we can own what I may call proprietary ownership of part of the AI um, uh, systems and uh, assets. So I'm happy that you're agreeing that there is a real danger of you know, you know, the new colonization being the AI colonization. I, I see that um, one of the things I've been noticing is AI is not about the AI itself. I mean, you just mentioned it earlier. It's about who is making the AI products and um, how it's being implemented. With the mindset of you know, the colonization, the, the new colonization, would you like to speak to that a little bit? Yes, actually the current trend in AI right now is something you are calling democratization, democratizing AI. And uh, the global push has been, uh, where has this intelligence been mined from? You know, for example, we have natural resources, like we have our own, uh, oil deposits in Africa, diamond and all that. We would expect that then, of course, those resources are also helping the locals where those resources are being mined from. Now, let's go to the AI space. AI on its own, it, it, it does not have any value until it is fed with data, because at the bottom line is pure data, because that's what we use to train those machines and other things. Now, this data is coming from who is coming from, James? who is liking, who is sharing a comment, who is uh, writing an article somewhere, and a system is able to read through and being able to kind of almost interpret your behavior, your preference, and all that. You should also have a way in which then you also benefit from that. And that's what now people are calling democratization. So we need to make this thing owned by everybody, not have one uh, proprietor kind of driving monopoly of controlling how that information and the intelligence is being uh, consumed. So I would say I'm a bit concerned. In fact, that's one of the areas that really uh, I'm very passionate about in, in terms of engaging in governance conversation on how AI is going to be governed in terms of frameworks, policies, and all that. Because 
this intelligence is being fed from you, from me, from our sisters, our brothers, our peers, our friends, all that. They are the one being used, the information is being used to train those machines. So we should all have a shared cake that you all sell, you not have one monopoly then that is taking over and enable us to use that for their own competitive advantage. So yes, it's a concern. And uh, this is something we have to address even using legislation and some other international um, bilateral kind of uh, standards that have to be put in place to regulate that space. So one of the things that uh, always comes up with new technology is the fear about the loss of jobs. You mentioned earlier in this podcast that 90% of jobs in financial sector are going to become redundant with the new technologies. Is this something that... Um, you know, people here need to worry about and how are they able to, how can we prepare ourselves for the new age? Thank you. Um, I would say one of the greatest skills that anybody or any professional working in the marketplace have to embrace during this season is what we call, you know, adaptability and agility. Um, I would say this, when the third industrial revolution came, Everybody feared that the computer is coming to take over our jobs. And we were there, and I, I joined the marketplace in uh, early 2000, when everybody was fearing that the computers are there, they're going to automate all the tasks. We are now 20 years after the computer age, actually plus, but there's still jobs. But only, the only thing that has happened is that the jobs themselves have evolved. And therefore, also the professional and the job role holders have also to evolve to adapt the new jobs. Now, the AI has come. AI has also brought in new job opportunities. We have already mentioned that for the AI to operate and to be able to be able to predict our behaviors and patterns more effectively, it requires data. Now, we have now seen a new um, workforce, uh, like for data analysts, data scientists, data engineers, roles that were known there 10 years back. So there are new emerging competencies that have actually been brought by the AI itself. We need even people now to even start now looking at how uh, to embed ethics within the AI. Actually right now, the discipline of psychology, because now we are trying to see how can these robots be able to be programmed and have like ethics and uh, just the way the humans uh, interact. Now in the psychology space, now we are demanding again, involving a lot of psychologists to come and help and advise these data scientists and the AI engineers on when they are developing these robotics, they're able to embed some ethics and some human, you know, in nature around the robotics. So I'll say there should be no worry if at all these professionals are adoptable, they are able to adapt into new environments, and therefore that calls for what we call lifelong learning. There's something we call adaptive lifelong learning. So for any profession, whether you are a lawyer, whether you are an accountant or a HR or any other profession, you just need to subscribe into adaptive lifelong learning. With that, you're able to evolve and take advantage of the new positions or new jobs that are being created on a daily basis. The ones that should worry more are those who are kind of only static on their own domain knowledge, what you are taught in you know, universities and colleges. If you start with just that domain knowledge, then you're likely to be almost become redundant or kind of irrelevant as the new changes comes on board. So I'll say there is hope for anybody who is agile. So have the domain knowledge, but also keep agility and adaptability to continue running new things and adapting. I've been asking every single person on this podcast one specific question. You talked about buzzword, where you know everybody's talking about this, you know, new thing with AI. Is AI likely to you know go away? Because you know, we're hearing it. Um, in the discussions about, you know, big cities, European cities, uh, Asian cities, 
is this something that people on the continent, you know, smaller towns and villages, people who are on the move, if they just ignore it long enough, it'll go away and we'll move on to the next buzzword? Uh, to be honest, in my opinion, I'll say this is something that we have to um, adapt with and live with. It may evolve, yes, but in terms of going away, I don't think that is something that we are likely to experience as such. We all over in the history, if you are to follow the ancient uh, evolutions, as much as we've had industrial evolutions and it had its own time, it never went away. Even right now, we still have it, only that it has been modified and it's kind of in a different way. So artificial intelligence has actually been there since time then. It's not something that you can see have just emerged the other day, only that it had a different form. Only that right now we have more intelligence because we have built a lot of data and information. We're able to organize, we have high computing engines in terms of computing capacity. Computers are able to compute and process a lot of information. So, and we're able to organize our information much better than before. Now, I'll say this, uh, to be able to kind of respond to that, as long as there will be a, a future to expect, intelligence will always be there. So it can evolve to become something else, maybe no longer artificial intelligence, maybe become something else intelligence, but intelligence will always be there as long as there is a quench or this kind of a desire to predict a future. Because as long as there's a future, we can see 10 years, five years to come, there will always be a demand to be able to predict and position. And therefore, that's where the intelligence comes in. So as long as there'll be a future, there will always be that intelligence. It may evolve in terms of the way in which it's going to operate, but it is here with us. It may have pros and cons. That is a fear for everybody else. There will be advantages and disadvantages of the same. But that's why now we need to engage in a lot of advocacy and a bit of governance towards how we manage AI in the future workplace. Pros and cons. For you, are you looking at it in a positive way? Are you looking at it in a way that you know, will, it's going to be enrich our lives now and in the future? Or are you also very cautious? I will say it's a both, it's a sandwich. It's a sandwich. And sandwich means, of course, um, there's always, there's somebody who told me sometimes back that the world is driven by interest. Whenever it's something happened, you just look at what, what is the interest behind it. So this AI, we can't just say something that is just there for everybody and to make life uh, being improved for everyone and all that. Sometimes there are some interest around it. That's why I might be a bit cautious because with that interest, then somebody can shift control very easily. And you can see like now how dependent we are with the technology. And, and that's, that's something that we have to be very cautious about because I actually was talking in some other forum which was um, attended by doctors. And um, what is worrying me is that we have doctors who can actually not be able to defend a lot of technical um, medicine and being able to interpret problems and diagnose and prescribe. Because why? They are using systems that almost prescribe to them. So they have these tools. When you have a doctor, you have a screen behind you, which actually almost interpret for you your weight, your diagnostic results, and you're only left to consume and tell the patient, we just prescribe you this and this. Now, what is that leaving us? It's leaving us to have probably, and the current kind of, we may be converted in people who are like zombies in terms of the technology then is doing everything. You're just there then just to consume and interpret. And that's the worry we have. Uh, we have engineers, actually, when we have this 3D, uh, 3D printing that is being adapted right now. So you don't need those engineers used to understand how a the machine works and they can go behind the scenes and learn the mechanics. So they can use a wizard. Web designers currently, anybody can web design. Why? They are, they are kind of wizards, what you call widgets and, and templates. Now, 
we can end up becoming a bit more so dependent on already made intelligence that we lose ourselves. So we no longer have our own control of our own consciousness and judgment. And that's a worry. On the positive side, of course, yes, if we will have maintained the control of the AI development, we can take advantage of the project that it brings because we're able to have more intelligent strategies, intelligent decisions. Uh, we, are, we are able to optimize our ex, uh, operations. Like, for example, if I have a robot that is able to determine for me who is a good prospective uh, customer, is James likely to buy my car or uh, I'm selling printers or I'm selling some foodstuffs? If you're able to give me that assessment, I'm not able to, I, then kind of that will help me save on cost when I am uh, hiring those marketing assistants and uh, sales professionals because I don't need them either because I can almost be able to get that read, qualified read from an AI uh, CRM. So there's those pros and cons. So we have to be cautious based on the interest, of course, of who is driving this. And one of the worries I think that we have shared, shared before is the hosting side of most of these AI platforms is nothing local. Most of them are all foreign. Therefore, if there are interests that are foreign in nature, then we can always get biased uh, by their decisions or prescriptions that are going to be made from uh, that interview. So it's something to worry and be cautious about. Thank you so much, uh, Gabriel, for being on the Goethe Institute Kenya podcast. Thank you very much, James, for having me. Um, we look forward to engage further. Thank you for joining us on the Goethe Institute Kenya podcast. Wherever around the world you might have tuned in, I'm your host, James Murua, wishing you a good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Kwaheri. Thank you.